This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. This episode contains content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Please see show notes for details. seen the title of something and thought to yourself, wow, that's a really cool name. Sometimes it can be really simple, like the title of Lewis Carroll's poem Phantasmagoria, which is taken from a word that means a sequence of real or imaginary images like those seen in a dream. Yeah, I guess Phantasmagoria really isn't a simple word, but its simplicity lies in the fact that it is just one word, a word that holds a great deal of meaning. I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that I've had a similar experience when someone has told me their name. For the sake of people's privacy, I won't say anybody's names that I've found really interesting or beautiful, but there's more than just face value beauty to names. Names are often the first thing we seek out when we want to know more about someone or something. When we meet someone for the first time, we often start the conversation by exchanging our names. Sometimes a conversation can be had for an extensive period of time, and once we learn each other's names, that conversation suddenly has significant value. There's something we gain when we learn a person's name for the first time, or when we discover the title of a song that we've been enjoying. A name solidifies that thing into our minds, but more importantly, it's what gives that thing identity. Eric Satie, a French composer who straddled the late Romantic and early 20th century periods, knew that names were more than just something that we use to compartmentalize in our brains. He knew that a name is often the first thing people use to identify someone or something, giving that thing or person personality before we can even become familiar with them. Titling his works was not just about finding something beautiful, although initially they were quite beautiful. His titles were chosen carefully, telling the performer that the piece they were about to perform was designed very specifically. Likewise, it told the audience that the piece they were about to hear was meticulously crafted. This practice started early in his career. His earliest mature works were one-word titles, but those single words gave you everything you needed to know about that piece, how the piece was structured, and even what you were most likely about to hear. Of those first four works, all for solo piano, two have stuck out the most, and more often than not, listeners have heard these pieces at some point in their life, whether they knew it or not. Satie Genepédie and Nassien are just as influential today as when he wrote them, and I would like to share with you just how important they were. This is The Composer Chronicles, a storytelling podcast about music through the ages. I'm Stephen Trigar, and this is episode number 60, 
the worth of a name, Sati, Jignapedi, and Nasien. Eric Alfred Leslie Satie, born in May of 1866, was a composer of great merit of his time. His compositional style was quite progressive. While composers like Gabriel Faure had laid the foundational work, hiding his innovations within a conservative-sounding work, Satie could care less whether the critics and public thought that his style was a bit daring. After Satie's mother passed away in 1872, when he was only six years old, he was sent away with his younger brother to live with his parental grandparents in Annefleur, France. Satie was born there, but the family moved to Paris when his father's business took them there. Satie was enrolled at the Collège d'Annefleur, where he began schooling. He also began receiving music lessons from a man named Vinot, a man who we would attribute to igniting Satie's lifelong passion for music. When not in school or taking lessons, Young Satie spent a great amount of time with his uncle Adrian, a charismatic and carefree man who early in his life was nicknamed Seabird because of his wild and undisciplined demeanor. Here lies the root of Satie's hatred of convention and his irrepressible irreverence. After his grandmother died when he was 12, Satie and his brother once again moved back to Paris to live with their father. Their father was already in the process of courting another woman, and shortly after the young brothers reunited with their father, he married again. She was a piano teacher, and for Satie, this was crucial for his growth as a musician, because when he started becoming serious about composition, he and his new stepmother would begin publishing salon compositions together. Just a year after returning to Paris, now 13 years old, Satie entered the Paris Conservatoire, Immediately, he was labeled lazy and unmotivated, but his teachers could not claim he wasn't a gifted pianist. Professors at the conservatoire were so fed up with Satie's lackadaisical approach to everything that they sent him home. But two and a half years later, in 1885, he would rejoin. He still was unable to make a favorable impression on his professors, so a year into rejoining, he took up military service instead. Even in the military, Satie was seen as lazy and worthless. He was discharged a few months in after being accused of deliberately infecting himself with bronchitis. Satie moved out of his father's residence to live in an apartment in Montmartre at the age of 21. Now Satie's compositional career truly begins. 
he became friends with the romantic poet Contamine de la Tour, and his first compositions were published by his father. He integrated into the appropriate social circles, and most importantly, with the artistic clientele of Le Chat Noir, a café cabaret in the Montmartre district of Paris. Now, in 1888, Satie began to write his Jeune Pédie. This is Jeune Pédie, specifically the first of three in the entire work. While the work's title is not original to Satie, meaning he didn't create this word for himself, Jeune Pédie is so closely related to Satie that looking up the word will somehow lead you to him. It's an unusual title, and the fact that he used the word to title these three pieces means that his name will forever be associated with it. However, as I said, Jeune Pédie is not a word that originated with Satie. It is the French translation of Jeunopédia, the ancient Greek word for an annual festival that was celebrated exclusively in ancient Sparta. The festival featured generations of naked Spartan men participating in war dancing and choral singing. The belief is that the celebration of this festival began in 668 BCE in honor of the Spartan victory in Threa. Over time, it became a celebration in honor of Apollo, the Greek god of oracles, healing, archery, music and arts, sunlight, knowledge, herds and flocks, and protection of the young. Wow, that's a lot. If you're like me, you're probably wondering just where Satie got this name for a piece that sounds nothing like generations of naked Spartan men war dancing. Well, not much is truly known about why he chose the word. The most probable connection between the piece and the Genopedia is that Satie intended to suggest, quote, the tracing of some graceful arabesque by naked boys dancing under an early morning Grecian sky, end quote, from Rollo H. Myers' biography on Satie. Both Satie and his friend Alexis Roland Manuel maintain that Satie adopted the word after reading Gustave Flaubert's novel Salambo. Remember that poet friend that I mentioned earlier, Contamine de la Tour? Some believe that Satie's inspiration for the word was not from Salambo, rather a poem that De La Tour wrote, which was published together with the first movement in the popular magazine La Musique des Familles in the summer of 1888. De La Tour never confessed to whether or not he wrote the poem before 
or after Satie titled his new work, so this argument doesn't hold much substance. Another place that Satie would have seen the word was in a dictionary published in his lifetime, where Jim de Pidi was defined as a new dance accompanied by song, which youthful Spartan maidens danced on specific occasions. This definition is certainly not historically accurate to the Spartan festival, but it possibly makes sense that Satie would find the definition inspirational. Gymnopédie comprises three pieces, each lasting about three minutes long. Gymnopédie is the idea behind the whole piece, and each movement represents a different facet of that same idea. When listening to each of the pieces, there is an undeniable connection to them. At times, I have even wondered if I was listening to the same piece, listening to each consecutively, but somehow each has its own identity. While the three were intended to be grouped together under one large umbrella work, and would even be seen as movements of a larger work, the individual pieces were published separately. Both the first and the third were published in 1888, and the second wouldn't be published until 1895. In 1896, Satie's popularity was diminishing, but another composer was on the rise. None other than Claude Debussy. Debussy loved Satie. He credits Satie as being the one to give him the strength and courage to be as inventive as he was. And because of his love for his colleague, Debussy would do his best to use his platform to help Satie's popularity grow again. One of the first things he did was orchestrate the first and the third gymnopédie. He started with the third, and then the first. He also reversed the numbering. Satie's first was Debussy's third, and the third was Debussy's first. Debussy believed the second did not lend itself to orchestration, so he left it out entirely and published the score in 1898. But amidst all this, Satie was composing another one of his most important works, the first three of six individual piano pieces all compiled under the name Nocien. We'll learn more about Nocien after the break. music be like? I certainly don't want to know. This podcast would not exist. Luckily, we don't have to find out what that world is like. I do a lot of listening in a day between all of my favorite music and podcasts, and it's not just for entertainment. I'm constantly doing research for this podcast and switching back and forth between apps to listen to a podcast episode and then a piece of music can get tiresome if I'm trying to quickly switch back and forth. From an episode of Hey Riddle Riddle, to Stravinsky's The Firebird Ballet Suite, and then to Lady Gaga's latest album, I can listen to them all on Amazon Music whenever and wherever I want. 
I start listening when I get into my car, and then when I get home, I switch over to my Alexa while I cook dinner for me and my fiance. Listeners of this podcast can join me in listening to all of the best music and greatest podcasts on Amazon Music Unlimited right now when you sign up today at getamazonmusic.com slash the Composer Chronicles and get your first 30 days for free. You can get unlimited access to any song and do all of that listening without any ads. So again, go to getamazonmusic.com slash the Composer Chronicles and start listening on Amazon Music Unlimited today. Prior to composing Nocien, Satie had, of course, completed the Gymnopédie as well as another group of three piano pieces titled Sarabande. The structure of all the pieces within the Sarabande and the Gymnopédie were dances, with the title of those works hinting at that very structure. While the title of Nocien doesn't outright tell us that they are dances, they are considered as such because of their rhythmic similarities. The word Nostien was coined by Santi to indicate a new type of composition that he aimed to invent. The word itself is derived from the Greek word gnosis, 
which is translated to knowledge. By this time in his life, he was involved in Gnostic sects and movements, which makes sense as to his choice of the word. However, some published versions claim that the word derives from the Christian Gnosis, either spelled starting with a K or a G, which supports the theory of Gnosian being linked to the myth of Theseus, Ariadne, and the Minotaur. While Satie was composing the works, several archaeological excavation sites related to that myth were becoming quite famous. After the completion of the Jeune de Pédie, Satie began composing the first three pieces of Gnosian. Although the first three would be the first to be published, it is Nocien number five that was likely composed first, as it is dated before all the other five. He worked on them into 1890, a time when Gnosticism had re-established itself and Satie had been introduced to the Rosicrucian sect by friends. His joining of the sect would heavily influence the creation of the work. Satie would move to a smaller room in Montmartre that year, having already become friends with Debussy. And by the next year, Satie was the official composer and chapel master of the Rosicrucian order. The completion and publication dates of the Nocien start to become quite complicated. The first three Nocien were the only three written with that style in mind, and were the only ones numbered and titled. Nocien 1 and 3 were published first in September of 1893, Number three was published as number two. Nocien number two was published next. At the time, it was numbered six. It wasn't until 1913 when the group was published as one through three as we know them today. The remaining Nocien were published in 1968, 43 years after Santi's death. Numbers four through six were never numbered, and not even the title Nocien was added to them before he died. Scholars believe that Satie never intended the remaining three to be added to the entire group. The only reason these were published as Nostian were because the styles matched so similarly. The dates of these piano pieces also coincide with the time of the rest of the Nostian. Around this time, Satie began a romantic relationship with Suzanne Valadon, the only relationship of Satie's ever known. After their first night together, he proposed marriage, but they did not marry. Veladon didn't make the situation any easier for Satie. She moved into the room next to his, but continued to dismiss his advances. Satie became obsessed with her, writing her notes and music. She would paint pictures of him and would sustain the relationship. But when she moved away six months into the relationship, Satie was left brokenhearted. Despite the loneliness he felt, Satie continued to compose and he would lead more and more composers down a similar path that he led, the path of a progressive composer. Satie was always a composer who marched to the beat of his own drum. Nothing would deter him from his goals, and he never faltered from them. While these pieces were written early on in his life for the most part, Satie was only just starting. Unfortunately, not many pieces beyond the Jeune de Pédie and Nocien are widely known, but regardless, Satie was an artist who was capable of creating whatever he wanted. This episode of the Composer Chronicles was written, researched, and edited by me, Stephen Chigar, with theme music written by Daryl Banner. Clips from the Jeune Pédie and Nostien were used with permission from MuseOpen and other sources. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or wherever you can leave a rating and a review. Join our community of music lovers on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Crom Podcast on all three platforms. Here you can engage with our incredible community of music professionals and enthusiasts while staying up to date on news pertaining to our past guests. For more information about this podcast and to learn more about the composers, music professionals, and other featured guests on the show, visit alexandriamedia.org slash The Composer Chronicles. Next week, we'll take a look into the world of musical theater as composer and lyricist Spicer Carr joins me to tell his story. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Alexandrian Media, art and culture for the modern era.